Welcome to our latest podcast episode on European Tech Talks. My name is Andrea Vogon. Today, I'm honored to have a remarkable guest who is making significant strides in the realm of environmental impact and sustainability. She's not just an expert, but a true advocate for change. My guest, Pia Goldfarb, currently serves as the Environmental Impact Officer at Platform.sh. Her mission is to lead the charge in addressing climate impact and sustainability within the tech industry. Leah is all about action, guiding major companies on their journey to reduce carbon emissions originating from their IT infrastructure. Her expertise is the driving force behind businesses seeking to grow while treading lightly on our planet. But that's not all. Leah is a passionate speaker at tech events, sharing her profound commitment to positive change. Before her role at Platform.sh, she served as the Senior Science Officer at the Technical Support Unit of the IPCC Working Group 1, contributing to the sixth Assessment Reports Technical Summary. With a PhD in Atmospheric Chemistry from the University of Colorado and two decades of experience in environmental science and policy, Leah is truly a force to be reckoned with. So, get ready to dive deep into the world of sustainability and climate change with our incredible guest today. It's an episode you don't want to miss. So, get ready to embark on this enlightening journey as we discuss living abroad, the significance of sustainability in tech and practical steps to effect positive change. It's an episode you won't want to miss. So, welcome very much, Leah, to this podcast. I'm really happy to have you. Thank you, Andrea, for that very kind introduction. And I'm delighted to be here too. Yeah, you're welcome. And is there anything to add to what I've just represented of, of you? Um, maybe there's one thing I'll just uh, add in, which is I spent uh, 10 years at the International Council for Science as um, their science officer for sustainable development. So I was able to work uh, very closely with UN organizations and really see how the climate negotiations worked, as well as those around biodiversity and human dimensions. So I, I've spent also some time in the, just the sustainability academic realm and science policy. So you, you, you combine both worlds, right? The tech world uh, on the one hand and the scientific world on, on the other hand. So you can really talk about both sides, which is, uh, I think, really interesting. But before we jump into that, tell me, so you as an American now, you, you're living in Europe for quite some time. Um, and can you tell us a little bit what brought you here and why why you are here and why you want to stay here? Sure. So I arrived in France in August 1999 um, to take a postdoc at CNRS to look at cirrus clouds. And, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that I made uh, that decision. It was uh, a great experience to spend time both in Paris and uh, Provence. Uh, we had the Observatoire de Provence to measure um, many atmospheric and celestial um, occurrences. And um, we, we were able to use that data to look at cirrus clouds. And it was funny because that was the data that no one wanted to look at because clouds just obscure your ability to measure everything else. But we were able to use that to, to make some very interesting uh, observations. And so somehow you then, then you made your journey, but then you ended up again in the cloud, right? <laughs> exactly. But in a different kind of cloud? <laughs> exactly. I've always been in, in that type of... You've space. always been in the clouds. Yeah. In the clouds. 
Um, so, um, so after uh, after a long time of you know research and and really in the scientific um, part of this world, you you joined the private sector when you joined Platform.sh. Um, why why did you join uh, first of all the private sector and then also Platform.sh? Because from a scientific background, I'm sure that it was a a, a, a thought decision. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was a, it was a pretty big leap for me to make in March 2021. Um, first, I I have a certain debt towards the whole technology community. I think it's allowed communication more broadly, and I was very attracted by the tech sector. Um, but in addition, it was Platform SH's approach to looking at emissions in the cloud. They took a very uh, research-oriented way of doing it, following the greenhouse gas protocol, really working closely with our auditor. Our carbon auditor currently is Greenlee, and we worked hand-in-hand -hand with them to really understand the methodology, break down what models were being used, and um, we were able to question each other. <laughs> and that, that reminded me more of the academic background that I was used to. Um, so... It's been very rewarding, not only to um, take that type of approach in the cloud, but also then work more broadly on ESG. We're entering into a B Corp audit period right now, um, and we're working towards you know, our ESG reporting more broadly. And can you tell me a little bit um, about what Platform SH is doing exactly and what is your role inside of the organization? Yeah, so I'd be happy to do that. So... Um, Platform uh, is able to remove a lot of the complexities in the cloud by uh, taking care of all the infrastructure management. You know, it optimizes development to production workflows, and it reduces the time that developers need to, to deploy uh, to the cloud. And so we take care of you know, making sure that it's efficient, reliable, and secure, and that developers can really focus on the content that they want to put in the cloud. So um, really working f to uh, facilitate, you know, um, the deployment of websites and applications. And so when, when um, in the work that you're doing at, uh, at platform.sh, you work a lot internally, of course, on your internal metrics and internal ways of working, but you also work with clients and on client projects, if I have understood right, and you help the organization, um, you know, consult and also work with the clients to deploy the projects that you're working on. So when, when we look at uh, your both worlds, uh, let's say, and to combine them together, so what can companies do or what do you also um, consult your companies and your clients on um, reducing their digital footprint? So what exactly can we do? Yeah. So yeah, one of the reasons I was interested also in working a platform was to have this impact at scale. And What I, the approach that, um, that our CEO has talked about, uh, Fred Play, is you know, energy sobriety and how can we decarbonize the cloud? And for them, because we have that approach from the top, we're able to discuss with our clients the, the levers that they can use to reduce uh, emissions. And one of the big ones is geolocation. And this is something that we just talked about at DrupalCon with uh, Nestle moving um, products from Dublin which has a relatively high carbon intensity, around 400 grams per megawatt hour, to Sweden, which has a relatively low one, around 24. So that, you know, just by migrating projects to different regions, you don't 
affect the, the user experience. It looks the same in the cloud. It's one cloud region to another, but we can reduce emissions in that case by 80%. So that's a really big lever, and it's one that I think will allow um, clients to achieve their Paris Agreement goals um, it, you know, in terms of their digital emissions. The other thing is just being uh, conscious about their coding, you know, their impact in the cloud more generally. We're going to do, um, work on delivering uh, carbon uh, footprints for our clients so they can really visualize what is their actual carbon footprint today in the cloud. And then we could get into discussions with them about how to lower it. And to, um, to make this clear to our clients, we talk about a strategy they can take. And that strategy is a mode strategy where the N stands for measure, the O for optimize, the D for deploy, and E for educate. So, you know, we talk about measuring their carbon footprints, and that's something as a platform, as a service, a pass that we can do for them. Um, then we talk about optimizing, which is what passes also are very good at in terms of mutualizing resources. And here, Greenly has been able to show that compared to standard deployment on AWS Elastic Cloud 2, we can optimize CPU usage up to 12 times. Then deploy is the, the geo deployment that I was just talking about. And educate because this is a really new field. <laughs> um, and as we see people get into this field at the beginning, maybe they start by thinking about web badgers. You know, that just say, oh, how clean is your website? But in fact, those type, it's great that people are interested and that they are concerned. But it's also important to, to, to flag that that just measures one component of the carbon uh, cloud footprint. So it's a, it's a great entryway into discussions. And um, do you maybe have some benchmark on what has the most impact from what you have, uh, when, what you have just said? Is it uh, geolocation or is it just about the way that people are coding their, uh, their software? Yeah, so in general, it'll be uh, the geolocation. That, that will swamp everything else by this, you know, um, by a typical deployment um, in Europe, I think people are more likely to go to uh, AWS in Dublin because it's one of the older ones. It's more, one, more most established, which has this high impact. If you're already in Sweden, well, you know, geolocation is not going to help you as much. Um, if you're in North America, uh, there's a high probability you're in a high carbon area unless you're in the Pacific Northwest of the United States or in Quebec and Canada. So, you know, that would be the first one. And then once you've checked that one, you can look at the other ones. And how come, uh, for me, as I'm not so much aware of those topics, how come that there's such a difference, for example, between a Dublin and Sweden, for example, just, just to understand? Yeah, so it's really interesting that all of the emissions in the cloud really comes down to um, primarily how much electricity you're using. There is 15% uh, of your cloud uh, footprint comes from what we would call embodied emissions. So, uh, you know, the making of the actual servers themselves, the running of the data centers, you know, the renewals of all the equipment. So when you have 75%, you know, percent that's going to be the actual electricity, it matters so much whether you're using uh, clean electricity, you know, low carbon electricity or a high carbon electricity. And that's true for your uh, electricity use for compute storage, network, and everything else, which is, you know, the, the CDN, the content delivery network. So it all comes down to electricity in the tech sector in the cloud. And how far, so from your point of view and also the clients that you have at Platform, how far do you think are people already aware 
or how much education are you still doing? I mean, do people know and they just look for a way to implement or are people still really very much learning about those issues? I think it depends. Um, I think when you work with a large organization, particularly if it's European-based, um, like a Nestle and others, they're very aware of what their net zero goals are, how they're going to get there, and they're going to, they're going to be more sophisticated um, about their general strategy in this area. Um, and that has to do with regulations that are coming into place and having the resources to be able to do it. Now, that said, there are some small startups that from, their, from the get-go, they've decided this is one of their core values, and they're going to put the resources in to do a carbon audit early on. But in general, it's harder to find the resources to, to be able to do that at the very, very beginning. Okay, so it's still a, a challenge for smaller companies, right, to understand all of the regulations, to follow them, to see the updates, everything that is changing all of the time. Yeah, we, we, we hear that also in our community, of course. Um, so what can we do today? So if you say um, there are a lot of things that we can do. So, of course, um, you know, some companies, they have, let's say, they have integrated it by design. And other ones have to make a big shift. Like if you look at companies that are 10, 20, 30, or even 50 years old. So is this sometimes a very radical change, I guess, for those companies to 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 do all of this adaptation to the new regulation? Um, and so they're using your technology to do that. Exactly. And so it's interesting. Each case is different. We see at what stage they are in their journey. Um, and this is where some of uh, the work you know, that I've done in sustainability with the IPCC, which is one of the, the situation we're trying to move away from is business as usual and go towards what you were talking about, this transformation and try to empower our clients to understand that it's possible in the cloud to do this. They don't have to just throw up their hands, um, that there are options here. And it's, it's always been a discussion. And even to do the migrations, we have to discuss with them and have them sign a legal document that we're moving their intellectual property uh, from one area to another. So, yeah, it's... So implementation, implementation is complicated, but you also already touched upon uh, the regulations um, that are changing in Europe. So uh, we have a new ESG law that is coming into force uh, soon. Well, that has been prepared for a long time. Um, the CSRD. Can you tell us briefly what it is about? So yeah, this is this is going to be a big change in in our uh, in our landscape. And I the way I explain it is it's a bit like uh, what what GR, uh, GRD did for um, personal GDPR GDPR sorry GDPR did for um, personal privacy uh, CSRD, which is the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, will do. Uh, for ESG, you know, uh, environmental, uh, social, and governance uh, metrics. And so CSRD goes into force um, the 1st of January of 2024 for large companies, um, particularly for any company over 750. Uh, they will be asked to do the entire uh, CSRD, which we've heard is up to 1,000 questions, including their scope one, two, and three reporting. So this will be a big change. And... Um, you can, you know, different people can request to see the CSRD reports of these companies. So this is going to really change things because we're going to all have the same metrics. We're all going to be measuring things in the same way in this area, this double materiality. So particularly companies know that their standardization in terms of financial reporting 
And now this will do it for everything that is not financial, the, the ESG reporting. And then it'll be phased in for different sizes. Uh, for platform.sh, uh, we will start the year after in January 1st, uh, 2025 to collect data and report at the beginning of the next year uh, on all these different metrics. And then, you know, smaller and smaller uh, corporations uh, will be affected to the point that anyone who, you know, has a sizable uh, impact in Europe will have to do, the, do this. So this will reach beyond European borders. So it potentially has, could be the ESG measuring stick globally. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a big change. So we'll try to set some some good standards here uh, in Europe as, <laughs> yes. as we are used to do. Um, so this is kind. Of, so as we said, there's going to be a big change for the companies, and they will have to adapt and be able to, you know, answer to all of those uh, questions, which is of course complicated. But why is it good for companies, and why is it good for the ecosystem that we have this new um, law coming into force, and that we have to do this extra financial reporting? I, I think there there are two reasons. So um, the first is you can't improve what you don't measure. So um, if you think about it in just the classical way, I think already we're seeing by measuring things that have never been measured before internally, we're able to identify and reduce waste. It's making the whole operations more efficient. We have more insights into the way we do our business uh, and the impacts it has. And then the other side, which is new, is really understanding what our impact is um, in terms of the environment and social considerations. So anyone who's been involved in a brief corp already knows about this. This is one of the, the core components of changing your bylaws to, to be part of the movement. So it's just putting into regulation, um, I think, some practices that have been around, but really codifying it into specific metrics that will be shared across the board. So also then for the consumer or for the client to have uh, also something that he can he can have a look at and also compare different offers also uh, with regards to uh, those new yeah. measurements that are in place. Exactly. And that's part of uh, the beauty of the scope three, you could say. So the scope three is uh, anything that's pretty much offsite, your upstream, downstream uh, emissions, which is collective. You know, some of your scope three will be another company scope one and two and vice versa. So it's trying, it's taking this collective approach. So as these data become more available, as we begin to understand how the entire ecosystem is functioning, then we can, we can choose better partners that are uh, in different stages of development. So there's, there's the argument to be made that getting on board early, will, the early adopters will uh, benefit uh, enormously. And we're already seeing yeah, the, because of the large uh, changes. And I, we're just talking about CSRD, but I also just briefly mentioned there are some changes in Californian law that will also move in this direction. Okay, we will get an update from you when this is going to happen, I hope. <laughs> um, so, but we said it's going to be complicated for the companies to put that in place. So how can you, how can com companies best prepare for this change to come? Yeah, so I would say... Um, If you haven't already, uh, hiring you know, a chief sustainability officer or something similar uh, in your company will uh, 
help you understand the entire uh, situation. These regulations, as you've mentioned, are changing almost weekly. <laughs> there are no updates. There are things to be you know, followed. But we can also see the positive impacts of hiring such a person um, in terms of better observability on how you do business, on identifying the areas where um, not only you will be reporting to CSRD, but you'll be audited and graded. And so by having an internal view of that before it goes public, you know the areas where you need to improve most. Uh, it becomes pretty clear how to prioritize and uh, be a better team player in this area. And you also, we were also talking in preparation of this discussion is to um, prepare in First of all, of course, learning from, from others and how they've done it, because as it's coming in, you know, uh, sequentially, uh, you can learn from those who are a little bit bigger than you, but that have done it before. So learning from the best practices and also preparing and making a couple of dry runs before uh, your first reporting, right? Absolutely. Yeah, this is, I think we're seeing communities of practice um, spring up around this. Um, if a company... It, can do a dry run. It's highly recommended. I would say most of the large companies have, are already in this position right now, uh, gearing up, getting the data they need. Sometimes, you know, part of it is just having the checklist of what they need to measure. That's, that's usually what you learn in the first year. <laughs> Where are your data holes? How, how are you going to um, address this and being able to report? You know, I think the first year will be an experiment for a lot of European companies, and I think there'll be some leeway. But just to understand the enormity, you know, of this 1,000 questions um, and prioritizing your strategy in this area. So when, when we look at this, then, you know, companies don't really, at least in Europe, right, don't really have a choice on putting this in place or not, because it's going to be a law. So it's it's uh, mandatory to do that. Um, I remember when you have been on our event uh, in May this year, uh, something that resonated a lot with me is when you said that uh, we have to, and every one of us has to understand what is going to happen if we don't act. Right. So we were talking about the companies, of course, and everything that you can do also as a tech provider uh, with platform.sh uh, as yourself, Leah, in the ecosystem and, you know, uh, giving information to companies and sharing best practice and uh, working together. But then we also talked about how can any of us can make a change on a personal level. I mean, this is so much talked about. There's so many articles. There's so many things that you can read. But what is your take on what can we do as a person to make a change on a very personal level, what can I do? Yeah, so um, I think there are there are a lot of things that individuals can do. Um, I would say there's even more at the system level. So um, for 30 years, we've known about the science uh, from the IPCC reports, um, and the scientists have not changed their message uh, in, in this area. But The fact that now we need to bring this in to change the way business is done, to, to, to change the way we govern ourselves, um, to have uh, policies in line with the changes that need to uh, occur. And so we're you know, really focusing on Europe here. So we have this global warming of our, of our global atmosphere of 1.2 degrees, but actually in Europe it's higher because we're you know, closer to the poles, which are uh, warming even faster. So there's, there's an imperative. We're seeing the impacts today. Um, we, you know, we've just gone through the, the hottest September on record, you know, and we know the knock-on effects that this is going to have. So 
Um, we absolutely need to change. We're seeing more citizen movements uh, demanding this change, um, being ahead of the governments. We've seen citizen uh, conventions being proposing laws, uh, whether it's in France, Sweden, the UK. You know, all of these are needed changes, and I hope you know will one day um, become the norm. But what's clear and what all the science has showed us is that we need basically that 80% of uh, the greenhouse gas emissions are, come from fossil fuels. And already at 1.2, we're outside of the planetary boundaries that have been discussed in terms of justice, um, but also um, in terms of one of the reasons we had the, the Paris Agreement was because governments realized even at 1.5 degrees, we would have more than a billion people on the move by the end of the century. And so just to keep the structures that we have in place right now, you know, um, whether it's governance, whether it's business, we need to change the way we're acting. And so, you know, as a person, you know, getting off fossil fuels, install, you know, the first thing uh, I did moving into a new place that where I was the owner was installing heat pump, you know, really looking at the insulation in general, um, you know, educating yourself because this is a new field and not everyone is a climate scientist. And, um, one thing that people could say to me is sometimes they fall into despair. And the best way, the best antidote to that is to get involved with a local group, you know, feel that you're contributing to positive change, work with others that feel the same way so you don't feel so isolated and you know you're having an impact. You can do that at the European Champions Alliance, right, in our climate yeah. tech group. <laughs> no, it's just one example, but... Of course, um, there's so many things that you can do to to educate yourself. And I think it's something that is really important because, you know, sometimes people tell you on a personal level, anyway, you will not have an impact because the system has to change. But then people um, kind of still look for something that they can do to participate. So I think um, everyone can have a conscious uh, decision about what he's doing in his personal life, also what he's doing in his professional life you know, demanding inside the company, if it's a big or small company, to take those issues seriously, to hire ESG managers, to have also those kind of lobbying internally inside of the companies for those who maybe have not yet uh, done it and just to to, to voice uh, those concerns uh, everywhere that you are. And um, I think this is something that is really important and we will uh, continue and tr continue and try to educate our small community about around those topics, um, especially starting now with uh, CSRD and how this is going to be accessible for companies and what we can do to share best practice. And I think there are a couple of things to come and I'm looking forward to having you also in our discussions. We'll kick it off tomorrow. Um, Can I just yeah, say something so, about the, the? I'm just delighted yes. with the the European uh, Champion Alliance. Um, you know, there's a reason I chose to be in Europe. They are the leaders in terms of ESG. Um, for anyone who's interested in working in this area, I would say, you know, definitely if you're not in Europe, look look at what's happening here. They 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 have really set the standard and given me a lot of hope in this area. Well, let's uh, let's keep up the good spirit, I would say, then in this perspective. And thank you very much for your insights, Leah, and uh, for talking with me in our European Tech Talks um, podcast. And I hope to speak soon with you again to have some update about what we'll be doing maybe in the Climate Tech Group, what you'll be doing at platform.sh, uh, some new projects that you will be launching. So I'm looking forward to having an update soon. Thank you for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of European Tech Talks until the end. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating and share it with your friends and colleagues. This will help increase our visibility on the podcast platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to receive our latest episodes. Before you go, have you considered joining the European Champions Alliance? As a member, thanks for listening to this episode of European Tech Talks until the end. Experts, if you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating and share it with your invitations to members-only events and support and advice on your pan-European expansion plans. If you're interested, please visit our website at european-champions.org or reach out to us on LinkedIn. See you in the next episode.